0: we we'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11, and I know Leo introduced me, but for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet yet or don't remember my name, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the elders here, and it really is just a joy and a distinct privilege to have each of you with us this morning, um, but as we turn to Colossians, just by way of introduction, I. Remember there was a, a friend's wedding that I was uh that I took part in uh like many years ago right out of right out of college and uh the the friend who was getting married he had this just this ratty old t-shirt it was this old metallica shirt that you know it was one of these kind of old shirts and if you don't know Metallica, um, they're this old rock band that, I, I think they're still playing, but they've been around, it feels like forever. But anyway, he had this old Metallica shirt, and it was just ratty and grungy, and had holes in it, and it was one of these kind of things. And his soon-to-be wife, his fiance, just hated this shirt, right? I mean, she just absolutely hated it. And partly she hated it because it was just old and, you know, tattered everywhere, and it was ugly. It was just one of these shirts you shouldn't wear out, and so it's the shirt he wore out every time. It was just this nasty shirt. But part of it was, it really was for her just symbolic. This shirt was like, all the symbolism of all he used to be was all wrapped up in this shirt, right? Because he used to be this kind of, you know, guy who used to, you know, be into the party scene, and he was that guy, and it was, you know, he was before he knew Christ that he had met her. And so it was really, like, this shirt to her represented all that he was before, before, you know, all he used to be, before coming to Christ, before meeting her, all this kind of stuff. It was life pre-her, and so she just hated this shirt. And so she, they, she hated when he wore it. And so, literally, like, half the, like, like half jokingly and half not, they just used to argue about this shirt like all the time. It was, it was one of these kinds of shirts. So on the day he was, he was getting married, you know, and they were getting married at a church, you know, and everybody was going to wear tuxes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you know that part where everybody comes in early to get ready? He comes strolling in wearing the old Metallica shirt, right? I mean, he was just, he was wearing it proudly. And everybody was just like, oh, this is, you know, you're you're, you're making a stand. You know, this is your last stance, right, of independence, right, before you get married. You know, you're you're having one last sort of thing. But, but he's explaining to us, he's like, no, no, no. I'm actually really wearing it out of love. I wanted to wear it one final time, kind of symbolically, because... When I, when I get changed in my tuxedo as a gift,er I'm just throwing this shirt away. So this is one final kind of time of, um, you know, kind of re- representing kind of the, the change that's taking place. There's a new identity as we walk out of here today that we're now a married couple. And so sort of he had this big symbolic moment where he wanted to take this last vestige off and kind of put on the new garments. And, you know, for most of the people there, that would have just flown under the radar. But for this couple, it was kind of this, this moment of significance of this off with the old and on to the new. In our passage this morning, we—if you will—we have a changing clothes passage. We have a where, where Paul is directing us to take off the old man. There, there's a, there's this old man that is living within us, and he's t- and he's commanding us to take off the old man and to put on the new. And he's he's following in in this passage. He's following a. a just a pattern that, that, he, that we see all throughout Scripture. Paul uses this pattern regularly, which is the imperative follows the indicative, which, which, which means this. He's, the imperative are our commands. They're sort of things that God is, is telling us to do. It's, it's required for holy living. And he's about to give a, a long list of things that we are to do. We're, he's giving a long list of things that we are to put off in this passage. He has commands in, in this chapter for husbands and wives and children and bosses and so on. The, the, the rest of the book is just full of just practical application of what's it? Look like to walk in the Christian life? What, it, what does it look like to sort of be marked by the, and if you will, sort of these garments of godliness? What does a godly person look like and what are they to pursue? And that's what the rest of the book is. But it's all built on what, he has been, what he's been saying in, in tr- chapters one and two in the, first, in the beginning of chapter three, which is, but we don't put these things on unless we recognize what Christ has already done for us. So he's following the pattern that we see in places like Exodus 20, right, where before he, Exodus 20 is where he gives the Ten Commandments, but before he gives the commandments, he just doesn't sort of start out of nowhere and just say, here's a bunch of things to do. He reminds them, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who called you out of Egypt. I am, I'm the one who has done all this for you. So in light of all that I've done, here's how you are to walk, This is what, looks like, to be a citizen, right? We've been talking about the daily dominion of Christ. Before he talks about sort of what it's like to live as a citizen in the world, he wants to remind them that they are citizens of this other world. So he is following, this isn't coming in a vacuum of in just in in chapter three of just here's all the things to put off, but he's following what he has been saying, which has been true of us, that we have died with Christ and that we have risen with Christ, that our sin has been nailed to the cross, that Our hope and our identity lies in heaven where Jesus Christ is because there's a hope of glory that awaits that right now Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over all things. So he's saying, in light of all those things, here's how we are now to walk. Follow this new way given to his people. And Before you can follow this new way, you need to take off the old way. So my friend that day, symbolically before, because you're in love with this woman, because you're about to have a new identity in this shared future together, because of everything that your life together is going to be, get, get rid of this old nasty outdated t-shirt and sort of put on something else instead. So v- verses 5 through 11 in a sense are, because you have died and have been risen with Christ, he starts off with, therefore put to death all these old things, take off, destroy, get rid of these old remnants in you. And then in verse 12, he then says, and then put on something else. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the put on. We're going we're to look at verse 12 and following in the next couple of weeks. But this morning, we want to look at the put off, verses 5 through 11, the, the get rid of, the, the, the clothes of the old man. So what's it, what's it like to, in a sense, take off that old ratty T-shirt? So the main point we're going to look at this morning is putting sin to death through, the light, through life in Christ, Sitting, putting sin to death through life in Christ. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Three points that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend most of our time in, our, in the first point this morning, but we're going to look at three points together. It's going to, the three points are put to death, walk in life, and our source of life. And so the first thing we're going to look at is put to death. So verse 5 begins with, put to death, therefore... Again, he's connecting it to verses one through four. He's he's connecting this to the fact that since you have died with Christ, since Christ is returning, and one day you will, and, and one day very soon you will appear with him in glory, where all sin will be gone, and all shame will be gone, where all guilt will be gone, since that day is coming, and it's just right around the corner in verses one through four. He says, Therefore, right now, put to death what is earthly. In you, since your true identity is heavenly citizen, since your true home is heaven, put, put all that is earthly in you to death. So he, he's kind of making the point that the, the, the process of sanctification is completed in eternity, it begins now here on earth. So he tells us to put this to death. But note where he locates the problem he, he locates the, the, the problem of sin, he locates the problem of, of sin is coming from within, right? He, he's saying, Put to death what is earthly. In you, so the problem is is coming from our own hearts. The problem is our own sin. He's not saying, "Hey, call out all the sin that's out there in the world." Sort of shame culture with how much you know we put things to death. He's not saying the problem is death external to us that that's kind of come creeping in. He's saying the death is the death is within us. It's it's in here, and so he's saying put to death all that is in you that is earthly. He's going to cite some examples. He's going to cite some sins. We're going to. De- we're going to discuss them. But, but Paul here is not trying to give this exhaustive list of everything that could possibly be earthly in you. And, you know, if, as long as you're not on the list, you can kind of beat them on a technicality. So you can do everything not on the list. It's just sort of... I remember once we had, my brother and I shared this, we shared a bedroom. And uh, the bedroom was like this old screened-in porch that we kind of converted. And um, we were teenagers at the time, and we weren't particularly obedient teenagers. And... Um, we had some, but parents made the door and they kind of, they were very clear on one rule and that was we were not allowed to go out the back door because once you got to the back door, you kind of go anywhere. And it was kind of, they, they said it was for like, you know, they kind of sealed it a certain way and for weather and for, you know, all the, all the utility bills that they didn't want us going out the back door. But it was really, they just didn't want us going out the back door because they just knew, like, that was the one door they couldn't see us go out of. They had no sort of way of knowing if we were gone. And so it was just this, do not go out the back door. And so they, they were very clear on that rule, and so my brother and I—we really did want to be obedient. So what my brother would do is he would sneak out the window, right? That was kind of his—the way he would get around it. And uh, yeah, so this is Uncle Drew, and he—you you can, you can kind of see the—and—and and I remember, you know, he, we were—we got in trouble because he, you know, he'd snuck out the window and all this kind of stuff. And I remember him looking at my dad with a straight face. Like, he didn't say anything about that, you know. And so there was just this sense of. All right, so Paul, Paul here is not trying to get sort of like, well, if you can find a way around this, you can, you can do it. He's not trying to be exhaustive. He's trying to cite examples. This is the patterns of behavior in the old man. These, these are things the old man does that, is not, that, that, it, that doesn't go with your new identity. But he's saying, well, But whatever it is, whether it's on this list or something else, listen, put to death all that is earthly in you. So... Most of us have things on this list that we can relate to and we're going to be talking about them, but it's not like, hey, loopholes are okay. He, he's just trying to, all the old man just needs, needs to be put to death. So this law list marks the old man and the sinful man, the man that has been nailed to the cross. So he says, put to death sexual immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire and covetousness. He says, put them all away later on, verse 8 and 9. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. So what he lists here are three categories of sin that mark the old man. He, has, he, he talks about sexual sin. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. He talks about the sin of covetousness, which we're actually not going to address more today. Next week, we're going to do a separate message just on the sin of covetousness. And I, I, I think I find... My experience has been th- this particular sin in our generation, in the church, it just, it's so often overlooked and it's neglected. And I think probably the instinct many of you had when reading it was like, okay, there's a lot of serious sins and the, there's covetousness, and uh, covetousness is, is, is just quite dangerous and it's deceptive and it's danger and the, the hold it can have on our lives. So next week we're going to look at just, just that verse of, of putting to death covetousness, which is idolatry. So we're not going to touch on it more this morning, because we're going to be looking at it next week. But then he, he lists these other sins as well that, that, that are really just directly harming to other people of anger and wrath and malice. These sins that that start in the heart, right? Anger, wrath, and malice all start with the heart, but they don't end in the heart. They all grow out, and they have this, they, 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 they keep, they grow in the heart, and then they, they, they begin to harm other people. So we have anger, which is just this hateful emotion, it, it, and Jesus, right, in the New Testament, he compares sort of the heart of anger as the heart of murder, and he talks about wrath, which is this desire for ben- vengeance. Wrath is, is not justice, right? Wrath is not sort of a desire for justice. It's a desire to punish more. It's this sort of sense of, I have been wronged, or I have been hurt in some way, so I need to inflict, I need to inflict that pain back on someone else, and malice, which is really just, which is just violence. and Paul says, put them all to death. And he talks about sins of speech. He said both obscene talk and lying need to be put to death because God is a God of truth. And so both of these are antithetical to his nature and his character, that God is pure and God is truth. And so they are antithetical to his character, so they must not mark our, they mark our old life. They must not mark our new life. Obscene talk, which is coarse and rude and cruel and ju- just really unnecessary. And so, Paul's not, again, trying to play word police. Like, he's not trying to give, oh, here's, here's all the words that could be listed as obscene. And again, He's just trying to say, what, what why do you say what you say? Is it a desire to be funny at the expense of others? Is it this sense of tearing down, puffing yourself up to be significant? Are you speaking out of an angry heart? Listen. Just put put away all this speech that that would be marked by that. Your 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 speech should be marked by something else. This weekend, I was with a couple of guy. I was with a guy who's who's a computer programmer, and uh, I'm not a computer guy. Like, the word computer is about as technical as I get. And this, but this computer guy, he you know he you know, he you know he was there, and we were together all weekend. But we went to this building where they have this like state-of-the-art sort of like technical stuff, you know what I mean? They just had like, were they boards? Is that the word, computer, mo- motherboards? Is that a real word? Is that Okay, so I think they had motherboards. Um, and anyway, and he, there was this technical director for this large church that we were at. And anyway, and they just started talking and they like, they were using English, but like everybody else in the room was like, we have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it was one of these, they just have like their own language and their own way of speaking. And they knew exactly what they were saying, and everybody else was like, I, I think they're talking about that board, and we have no idea. I mean, it was just this, this whole thing going around, right? And, but but you ever around, I mean, you can do this with sports teams, you can, you can do this with like anybody. You just get people who have like certain passions, and like they have a, just a different way of talking. They have a, their own language of what they're talking about that that circle understands and nobody else understands. And, and Paul here is kind of making the point, listen, there's just a whole other way of talking that the new man has, that, that, that it's not the old man. The old man has a way of talking, and the new man has a different way of talking. You're marked by what this new man needs to say. So he's kind of saying, what, what marks your speech? But he's saying, listen, if it's obscene, if it's lying, if it's untrue, if it's coarse, if it's unnecessary, if it's, if it's cruel in some way, it, just, it all needs to be put to death. And the nature with everything on this list is that, that listen, all these sins are either, you know, they will either kill, it's either kill these sins or these sins will slowly kill you and others. And so, so put these sins to death. So Paul's making the argument here where you see this sin. It, it, he, I mean, he's very clear. Put it to death. It's, it's not play, it's, it's, don't play games with it. It's not, well, you know, I get angry, but I guess I don't get malicious. So I'm probably okay. He's just saying it, it all gets put to death. There's no, it's not great, it's not ideal, but we can live with it. makes it very clear all these sins are, the wrath of God is coming for all these things. So obvious application would be where you see these sins in your life, put them to death. We're going to talk more about that, but where you where you see it, that, that they must be put to death. And the nature of all these things, right, is, is not that they die naturally over time, but they need to be they need to be killed. They need to be fought back. That it's, it's, I think that the imagery of these sins would be much more like a guy who, who, who leaves a fire unattended and just that fire was just going to spread and spread and spread. And so where you see lying or coarse talk or anger or violence, these things need to be put to death. Then he also lists four sexual sins of immorality, passion, impurity, and evil desire. Now Again, we could look at these more individually, but he's really trying to make the case of just sort of—he's not just trying to say, "Okay, what are the four technical definitions of each of these?" But, 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 but sexual sin in all of its forms is evil and needs to be put to death. That the wrath of God is deserved for sexual sin, and it's coming for sexual sin, whether that be sexual sin in marriage or in singleness of heterosexuality or homosexuality. That that. Ev- God designed human sexuality for good purposes, for man's thriving and good, but to step out of his design in any way is damaging and it corrupts and it stains and it twists and it's perverse. And you don't need me to tell you, and it is so prevalent. So, so many make the mistake of not putting it to death, but they, but they feed it a little bit and think that they can control it. But the nature of these things is... If you're feeding it at all, it is controlling you. And so, so Paul just says, put it to death. And it might be controlling you, and that's just making you more distant from God. We all know all too well many who have had their marriages ruined and homes broken, many who have been pulled off the narrow road by sexual sin, whether it be adultery or fornication or just lingering glances, desire for attention you shouldn't be receiving or fantasizing or pornography may take place in a hotel room and it might just take place in your mind but sexual sin will lie to you it will say it will offer pleasure and satisfaction but it only ever delivers brokenness and a desire for more and so Paul is very clear he says put it to death may it have no place in our lives or in our church, while it may be prevalent around us, may it have no place in us. So before I move on, I just want to make two, two other small points and two, desire that, two desires that I would have for us as a people as living hope. May God, by His grace, have it be that sexual sin just has no stronghold here. Listen, if you're, if you're struggling with sexual sin in some way, whether that be patterns of pornography or just stolen glances or fantasizing, and, and we could go on, but any of these things that are outside of God's design, let's be those who put it to death. And let me encourage you to get help putting it to death, to talk to a friend, talk to one of the pastors, talk to one of our wives, talk to your care group leader, May we be those who live so differently than the world around us because we have a far greater hope and we understand the purpose. May we be those who make no allowance for sexual sin. And as we do so, may may, may marriages be strengthened. May may teens and and children be protected. May may singles flourish in in this season, however long it is. May we honor God's design for God's glory. May we be a, a, a people ruthless, on our own sin, the sin that is from within. May we be ruthless on that. May we make no allowance for that. And at the same time, may we, may the church and Living Hope Church be ruthless on our own sin. And let's be the safest place in the world for sinners to come. Here's the reality. We, we are called to reflect Christ who hated sin and yet was constantly around sinners and who sinners felt safe to come to. So, listen, we need to recognize may we give no allowance for, for sexual sin, may we have no stronghold for sexual sin, but we also need to recognize there's only one who came and who never sinned. And so, our hope is that we'll never stumble. Our hope is not that we're only going to call those who never stumble, but, but, but that Jesus never stumbled, that Jesus was perfect. And so this, the, the, the message we're going to declare is not our purity, but Christ's perfection. And so may we, make not, any, may we not make any allowance for sin in ourselves, but may, may we be a safe place for sinners, which I'll just say is not going to happen through our self-righteousness or through our, through our moralism, It's not going to happen by just proclaiming to the world a list of sexual sins and things that sort of are not allowed. It happens when the grace of God that has gripped us and changed us is made available to others. And so the world's not going to see it if we're just wagging our finger at them or telling them to stay away from, from the pure. It's taking the message of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it. And so listen, when when somebody in our church confesses sin, may we not be superior in any way because we aren't. Listen, the the fall has broken all of us at least in one of these ways. Listen, we aren't. We're to be ruthless on the on the earthly that is in us and, and, and our own sinful hearts, but I think we, we are to be brokenhearted for those out there who are struggling. The world has no hope for those who are sexually confused and broken and sinful, but the gospel does. And so... In a sexually broken and confused world, may the safest place be a community of people gripped and transformed by the grace of God. And so our message is not going to be primarily about sexual ethics or about sort of our righteousness, but of Jesus Christ who bore every sin. And Jesus Christ, one of the things I love about Jesus is he never demands change before we come to him but he changes us the more we cling to him. And so may we be ruthless on sin and safe for sinners. And so if you are struggling with any sexual sin, and let me say this, especially if you're struggling and hiding it, I'm not going to say we're going to open, we're, have, we're not going to have open mic in five minutes, but tell someone, get help putting it to death. And if you're concerned that, that they're going to look down on you, that there's a superior, inferior thing, let me, let me show you one thing. There, there are only sinners who are sitting in this room, and the only people Jesus Christ came for were broken and sinners. And it's the only one he saves today, and it's the only ones who grace is available for are those who are sinful and broken. And Jesus Christ offers so much grace. But there is no grace in hiding but there is much grace as you turn and put it to death and so let me just say sexual sin in particular thrives in secret so get help coming to the light second point that I want to look at is walk in life so he, he, he tells us to put these practices to death the stakes could not be higher but then this passage also makes sense. It's not put them to death on your own strength. It's not just, hey, Jesus sort of saved you. Now it's up to you to sort of just to kill them all. But, it, but it's put these things to death in the strength he provides. He says in verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you put them all away. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been, that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Listen, it's making plain. Listen, you don't walk in them anymore because you are no—they they are no longer your identity. They—they they no longer have this claim over you because Jesus died, rose for you, and more than d- wrote, d- died for you. More than that, He was raised for you. You have life in Him. He has given you His Spirit, and you are being renewed day by day, by day in the image of Him, your Creator. So you have power now over your words and over anger and over sexual sin because Jesus died and he rose and the spirit is alive and active and the spirit wins at the end of the day. He completes what he starts. And so he's saying walk in the new life, but recognize it's the new life that he has provided, that he has purchased, that he has given to you. But we also need to be clear, this isn't a passive activity. This is very active that we, that it's God's power at work so these things can be put to death, but you must join him in putting these things to death. And I just want to make one thing just clear in case, in case you've never done this before. Death hurts. Putting these things to death, it, it, it'll hurt. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, don't be angry, but that actually means, hey, we, we need to be forgiving. And it doesn't sound painful to be forgiving, but it really doesn't sound painful until you try it. And Confessing sexual sin and being vulnerable to someone in this room, it hurts. And them making plans to follow up with you and spending money on blocking software and saying no to certain movies and entertainment because they have scenes that you just know stick in your mind and not engaging with culture at some ways, not watching many of the shows they watch or much of the things they proclaim. It hurts because when, when you're putting it to death, you're not one who is appearing to be strong, but you are one who primarily appears to be vulnerable. It means when you are tempted, when, when someone sins against you, you don't, you don't get retribution. You go to the gospel reminding yourself that you must extend love and forgiveness because the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus instead of me, and he now pours out his love and forgiveness on me moment after moment after moment, and now there's this overflow of love that, that comes out of me, so I must extend that love that has been overflow, that is overflowing out of me that he is, keeps pouring out of me onto this other person. And so there's just this recognition there's a dying to self that is painful. There's a not getting revenge that is painful. There's a, there's a saying no to certain things. that Listen, dying to self, not putting these things to death, it's never going to be popular in school. Not, not appearing to be strong, but appearing to be weak and vulnerable. No, not appearing to be one who could never stumble, but I want to point to Jesus Christ who never did. It's painful. It might cost you... A hit on your reputation, others knowing that you're a sinner. It, it's painful to walk in ways that is, as a pattern, putting yourself to death. When I was 14 years old, I... So I have a scar that goes from here down to, down to the bottom of my knee. When I was 14 years old, I was... Um, at uh, some point I'll share the whole story but I was playing football which I was really was really proud of I have a, I broke my leg playing football but um, and it was a bad break so my my femur bone broke which is this bone but there was a, a bunch of muscle damage and a bunch of nerve like nerves and it was it was bad but I held on to the ball which was just what I'm really proud of um, But anyway I had I had this football injury but it was it was a bad break so I was on crutches for over a year I had a couple different surgeries and just because of the extent of the damage it was just significant, the work they had to do on my leg and, and all this kind of stuff. But I remember one of the, to me, outside the break itself, the most painful part of the process was five days a week was going to physical therapy for like over a year, just constant physical therapy to be able to kind of have my, my leg kind of restored and, and working right. And it was painful. Every day of physical therapy, they would just push it a little bit more and a little bit more And physical therapy, I mean, there was a painful year of my life where this was just the everyday experience going through this. One of the things that I remember about physical therapy, I remember just asking once, kind of joking, but kind of not like, are you trying to hurt me? Like, is this, like, are you, you know? And like, no. Our goal is that you're walking pain-free. And our goal is that you have full use of your leg. But pain's the pathway to getting there. Listen, as you hear all this, listen, Jesus' goal isn't that we're being put to death. Jesus' goal, Jesus' vision, Jesus'... What He's doing in us is that we have life and identity in Him. But there's a a death in the process. So listen, it's, it's painful, but it's worth it. Thirdly, I want to look at our source of life, our source of life. So verse 11, he says, in the gospel... Here in the gospel, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In this culture at the time, and it certainly affected the church, particularly in culture, there was just deep divisions everywhere. So there was ethnic divides, there was Greek and Jew, there was religious divides of circumcised, uncircumcised, there was classes in the church, there were social divides of barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, there was economic divide, there was just all these things were dividing. Society was just held in this, this, what class were you in, what, what, what group are you in, sort of, it was just constant dividing line in the culture, in Colossae, it was just constant divide. But Paul's making the point, but, but, but in... In the Gospel and in the church there there is unity, so there's this oneness in the gospel and oneness in the church and so so you might think, okay, yep, that's good. that seems like a separate point though than, than what he's talking about about putting off this old this old man so what so it's great that there's unity, but he's saying, listen, there's this great equalizer Jesus Christ is, is, the, is the great equalizer, and so so in the Church of Jesus Christ and in, in our own life, there's not there's not two classes of people. There's not sort of sinners and others. There's not sort of former sinners who have defeated it in their own strength and others. There are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and no one else. There are sinners and there's Jesus, but every sinner needs the same grace and the same grace has been provided. So... As we put our sin to death, there is no self-righteousness. There's no better. There's, not the God, there's nobody that gets to look down on the other guy. Well, they struggle with this sin, and my sin on the list isn't quite as bad as their sin. There's, we all are in need of Jesus, and Jesus has been given to all of us. The wrath of God was due to all sin, to all sinners, and we are all equal ground. So there's no advantage, rich, poor, young, old, powerful, oppressed, man, woman, child, adult. We've all sinned, and in some ways we all... Struggle with what is earthly in us, and Jesus died for all of it, nailing it all to the cross, and He gave you life in Him. But He's also making this point and your identity. So they wanted to identify over, well, are you are you slave, or are you free, are you circumcised, or you uncircumcised, are you Greek, or are you Jew? What what are you? He's saying, no, no. There's one identity. You're in Christ, who is all and in all. Your identity is. You're in Him, and so as we are those who are fighting to put our sin to death, we need to make clear, listen. Your your identity is not oh you're, you're you're the covetous one. You're the you're the one with the obscene mouth. You're the one with, who's the liar. You're the one who, who who's a sexual sinner. You're, no, no, no. Your identity is Jesus Christ has died for you, and you are in Him, and He is in you. And you walk in newness of life, not because we've made ourselves new or because we discovered something, but because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And our hope is only in him. And so listen, he's, he's not saying, go walk in your own power as you put sin to death. It's we walk in the identity of Jesus Christ, who has defeated the penalty of sin, who is who is increasingly removing the power of sin over our life and who will one day completely remove us from the presence of sin. And so the, the primary way we do this isn't just a focus on putting off, putting off, putting off, putting off. Though we need to do that. We need to, we need to put off certain things. We need to have a list of things we are doing to fight sin and to put to death the old man. The primary way we do this is to recognize we cling to Jesus Christ every single day, again and again and again. We wake up our day not primarily putting off sin but clinging to Jesus and find that he gives life and hope and power to fight. Heard a, a story. Matt, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor out in Texas, president of a group of churches called Acts 29, but he, he was sharing a story of one day when he was around college ministry. And they had invited, uh, sort of the college ministry had invited the speaker to come. And the speaker was just, was just talking about sexual purity. So the, the point of the message was, was about sexual purity. And the speaker, I'd say, you, you, we would all agree with the with the ethics of this speaker. The speaker was, was taught, you know, the, kind of the what we're not to do because of the commandments. And so he he was giving this message, telling people what not to do. And as part of the message, he he was making a point, and he had this rose, and he and he, he started handing out the rose, but he's talking about the rose, and he was describing it, and he was just saying, "Look at how beautiful this rose is. Look at how." Perfect and wonderful and you know, sort of this beautiful red rose, you know, green stem, you know just sort of the idyllic rose and so he says, But take it and smell it, look at it, you know, kinda and so he starts the rose gets passed around as he's given this message, as he's kinda given sort of the, the more you know, the, the moral teaching of sexual ethics. And then the big crescendo of the talk was, was that by the time he was done that the rose was done being passed around and and when the rose got back up, you know, it was all, everybody had touched it and it was all broken, you know, all the petals were off, all the stems were off, you know, it was, it's now, a, you know, half brown, half green kind of rose and it was just, it was just tarnished and, and the big crescendo of the message was like, listen, we're all like this rose that if, if we're sexually impure, who's going to want that? And that was the, that was the big ending was who, who would want this? One of Matt's friends stood up and shouted, Jesus wants the rose. Listen, our our hope isn't that we're so sexually pure we will earn our way into the kingdom. It's not that we can put every sin to death. It's that Jesus Christ wants the broken, He wants the obscene, He wants those who haven't governed their mouths, and He wants to claim lordship over all of it. So we are all broken. And so Jesus Christ is the only one we turn to. So we, may we put sin to death by pursuing Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you work in your people a deep humility that recognizes their need of others, that recognizes our need of help, that recognizes we have, we have no moral superiority We are those who have been completely destroyed by the fall. We are all those who have stumbled in many ways. And our hope isn't that we can get off the ground, but that Jesus Christ died and rose and brought us to life with him. So Lord, may we be a a people who in light of this newness of life that you have poured out into us, would we be people ruthless on these sins? Lord, would they have no foothold? Would they have no allowance here? But Lord, as we are ruthless on the the sin within, may we be humble and welcoming and loving to, to fellow sinners who desperately need Jesus Christ so lord would we would we reflect you in this way of hating sin but loving sinners so lord i pray that you would do this in our midst pray this in jesus name amen